Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Today on the podcast, we are in New York, the state of New York, with a longtime hasher, the co-founder of Rumson. We've already talked to Mr. Jackson. Now we hear, we'll hear the rest of the story. Welcome today, Keith. On the- Thank you very much. Good to be here. I don't know you, and I don't know any of your backgrounds. Let's it, let me get to know you a little bit. When and where and how did you get to your first hash? Well, I was living in Kuala Lumpur, and uh, a competitor of mine invited me to the hash. I think he wanted me to wanted to kill me because he owned it. <laughs> so that was probably in '72, early '73, and uh, I hashed there until '77 when I left. I moved back to the states, moved down to New Jersey uh, while I was working in New York, where I met. Mr. Jackson, and uh, things started from there. How did you meet Mr. Jackson? I don't know. It wasn't in a bar. I know that, but I think it may have been through our wives or something like that. The memory of that time period is pretty foggy. I think Mr. Jackson said it may have been at like a newcomer's martini party or something like that. That would fit. Before we talk about what happened once you got to New Jersey there. Can you tell me anything about what it was like in KL in 72? First person stories of this are great. So anything you remember, what were the trails like? What was the yeah. beer like, the people, anything? Well, the house was a pretty important part of the social life of expatriates in uh, KL at the time. There was only one. And it was every Monday night. The Fraser and the beer truck would roll up on it. We'd start chipping the ice over the beer uh, and we'd take off. Typically, the runs were about an hour. If you got lost, they could be a lot longer. Uh, the first trail I co-haired with, a uh, guy was out overnight and they didn't find him until five o'clock in the morning. It was through a lot of rubber plantation, jungle and roads. So it was a terrific time. The uh, on-on would last several hours and uh, people got home without too much trouble. That was a, It was a great time there. I've, they had a, a sort of a program they'd take people like me who were expatriates who weren't thought to be there for very long just a couple years and they'd make you the onsec so i became the onsec as the first american onsec because i had a secretary and every tuesday all she did all day was type up the hash notes that we sent out every week uh it's brilliant so you were the first american onsec do you know what year that was somewhere between 72 and 77 75, 76, because then I became joint master and, and left KL in 77. That's a rare position. It's great to talk to you. I've talked to a few other on sex that have been there in later years. Do you remember who the people that you co-haired with? Any of the names come back? And were all the hair trails that you set multiple hairs? Is that the way things were done then? Well, there were two of us uh, generally. Uh, yeah. At that time, we were throwing out four inch by four inch paper squares. Mm-hmm. So it was indeed a paper trail. I know that uh, Adrian Romack was one of my hairs, uh, co-hairs. He died some time ago in his, in his 50s. Good guy. I don't remember any of the other co-hairs uh, that I had. Yeah, I, I'm not too sure. There are some memories that come back in terms of names, but it's been a very long time and too much beer in between. You know... I'm really glad that you came up with the name Adrian Romiak for two reasons, one personal and one historical. There has been a lack of evidence that Adrian hashed in KL. They couldn't find his name on the registry anywhere. He moved on in the world to the middle, the Near East. And at some point around 1982, he got to Cairo. 
and okay. he founded the Cairo hash. Really? So he is listed as a KL original. So Cairo is a direct descendant of KL. But as I talk to people, they're like, we can't find a record of him. Then I can attest to the fact that he was there. We talked about Ukraine a little bit beforehand, but he was Ukrainian. Aj uh-huh. and Naka. Naka was his wife, uh, Yvonne uh, Romiak, who actually was Canadian. Uh, right. I don't know what's happened to her. But I took the biggest lesson I got from the two of them was to keep the vodka in the freezer. And I've done that for the rest of my life. That's great. Did they have kids then, do you know? Yes, Matu and Harema, Matthew and Jerome. So let me fill you in on some of what happened later. Cairo Hash had their 500th hash around 1990 and 550th a year later. And I think it was then I found out that Adrian Romiak was back in Cairo. Okay. So I, I found his son and I invited him to the 550th hash and he turned up. Wow. He, he hadn't been hashing for a while. He was pretty thrilled to be invited. So I cohered with him in Cairo a few weeks after that and he hashed for another year and his son hashed and then they moved on. And yeah. then, yeah, Adrian died a few years after that, maybe four or five years after that. But he also hashed in Iran. I visited him for a week uh, in Iran and hashed with him. He hashed for the rest of his life, I guess. Yes. I'm not sure if he was the founder of Tehran hash or just hashed there. And it probably be would be more accurate to say that Cairo was descended from Iran because he hashed there, I believe, after KL. He claimed, I think it's somebody when, when they wrote up the... The genealogy, we claimed KL as the parent of Cairo, but it might be that Tehran is the parent. Yeah, That's cool to find out. Uh, yeah, Adrian was a great guy. I think I drank vodka with him, but he didn't pass on that tidbit for me. Yeah, that's great. You were on sec, left it behind. Have you ever been back to that part of the world that you left decades ago? <laughs> Yes, I, uh, a few years after I left, I went back, uh, went to the hash. It was supposed to be short because I had a dinner engagement with some friends who were still there. And of course, I got lost and I tried to use my, <laughs> my Malay in a Malay village to get back to the road. They ran screaming, the kids ran screaming off. Uh, they couldn't understand me. And so I was an hour and a half late for dinner. But of course, in that time period, while I could still run and could still drink, I hashed wherever I could, whether it's in Australia, New Zealand, Europe, in Taiwan, etc. Let me just ask you, if they come to mind, what are some of the cities or clubs that you hit in Australia, New Zealand? Certainly Melbourne, Sydney, and I think there may have been a couple of Sydney hashes. Yeah. Wellington, Taipei, Kowloon. I don't think I ever went on the Singapore hash, but on the Port Dixon hash, Depot. Hey. Oh, that's great. There are plenty of people that I've talked to and I've hashed with, but in Hong Kong, we have lots of people from your area, I'm sure, that will enjoy hearing this and realize they probably hashed with you and cross paths in some of these Asian cities. Wellington and New Zealand actually have a national GM that they elect every two years. And this person gets a little bit of money donated by all the clubs and they travel around and keep, they have a very interesting community. They have a Nash GM that goes, goes around and hashes with all the clubs in the country. There's about 30 of them. 
And so I'm in touch with the Wellington guys and we hash in New Zealand every two years for their Nash hashes. It's great, these crisscrossing paths that everybody's been on with hashing. Those various places on several different countries in the Pacific and Asia we just talked about, anything strikingly different about hashing or was hashing, how different was it? Places? You know, around the fringes, there'd be something different or you know, about, uh, about something, but the essence is always the same. Uh, you fit right in and, and have a great time and contribute to the next generation of Alcoholics Anonymous customers. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Did you ever, along these lines, get a hash name? No. Hash names were not in vogue at, in KL at the time, nor were they in vogue in New York City, where I ran when I came back. Occasionally, somebody would be insist on one. I remember a guy named Simon Roberts, who's a, a Brit from uh, the Southeast, and was insistent that he have one. So I caught him one day with a booger hanging down his nose, and <laughs> booger Roberts from the rest of it. But, you know, I personally was never impressed by hash names. You go someplace and some guy says, hi, I'm fuckhead, and you say, yeah, I can see. But it, it never did anything for the experience with me. Yeah, great. When you left KL as a resident, yeah. you landed in Rumson, New Jersey. Is that where you actually lived? Yes, that's right. A couple months in between. But yeah, we, we moved down to Rumson and uh, commuting to New York City every day. And in fact, there is not a lot to do in Rumson. <laughs> Unless you belong to the country club or the Seabright Lawn Tennis Club or something, there's a lot of spare time on your hands on the weekends. And uh, as you've alluded to, I met Gil, who actually for really is the founding genius of the Rumson hash. I was more the technocrat. I knew about hashing and knew how to do things in hashing and so on. But for the esprit and the real spirit of hashing, it's Gil. Yeah. According to his telling, you two got together and maybe had how many people? Let's just hear your side of it and what you remember, if anything. How many people came to that first hash run that you guys put together? It was under a dozen. Uh-huh. Uh, I feel like maybe five or six. That's about what Mr. Jackson thought. Yeah. And I thought, well, this is not going to go anywhere. But when we were done, and it was a very short run, a couple of guys, you know, just said, wow, this is terrific. You've really got something here. Fortunately for us, it caught on and uh, the packs got bigger and bigger until finally we were typically getting, uh, as I recall, something like 30-man packs every uh, every weekend. You picked the Saturday morning for the weekend. It now has been, for at least as long as I've ever known them, 10, 17 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys just start at 10 o'clock or morning or anything? I think you'd have to ask... <laughs> You'd have to ask Gil about 1017. I remember 10 o'clock. Yeah, yeah. I think it probably just, uh, people were late and they just decided to start at a later time at some point. Yeah, yeah I, you know, that's an innovation after my time, I'm sure. How long were you there before you left Rumson and moved into New York, Bronx? Gee, I want to say four or five years, maybe six. I'd, I'd have to count backwards and Mm -hmm. and, uh, see what was going on. That's just sort of my recollection. You were there for the growth of the Rumson hash. At some point, we've got the telling by a few of them, include, including Mr. Jackson, of the, the Hells Angels of hashing and the early T-shirts and some of the antics in the bars and the, uh, the crazy stuff. Do you have any memories of crazy? Well, it's yeah, it's interesting because your uh, email got me thinking about some of the interesting times. We generally had a one away hash every year where... Uh, Gil would rent a bus, a, you know, a big bus. 
Oh. We'd all go to the bus, we'd go somewhere, we'd hash, we'd go to a local bar, et cetera. So the first year that we went, and I forget where we were going to, of course, there's a keg on the on board. <laughs> um, people are getting uh, very cheerful. One guy, I think it was Marty Weckerman, says, uh, I know, let's all take off our clothes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so some of them did. <laughs> and they got off the bus without any clothes, and a car came up with two women in it who'd been following the bus the whole time, interested to see what was going on. Oh, my God. So that was fun. And then we had the run. I think people put their clothes back on. We went to a bar. We had the whole place at the top floor. And there's this floor fan, big fan. And the guy turns it on and says, I'm going to show you how they do it in Hollywood. And he threw a whole bucket of water into the fan, which got us drenched. I left. I went back to the bus. I was a banker. I said, I can see where this is headed. I do not want to have my picture arrested in a bar in the wilds of New Jersey. I'm looking at over and people are going in and out. All of a sudden, the window to the top floor, somebody throws a beer mug at the top floor window onto the ground, two stories down. Yeah. A couple of minutes later, crazy Eddie Borkowski jumps out the window to <laughs> get his beer mug. I just, anyway, we had these annual field trips, but after the first one, when uh, Gil tried to rent the bus again from the same company, they refused. <laughs> antics. So he called another bus company and said, we were ornithologists and we're going on our annual bird watching trip. And that's how we got the second bus. I don't know. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I think, yeah, Mr. Jackson... We'll probably get a listen to these and <laughs> maybe he, he skipped those stories. Those are great. Do you remember how long the day tended to be when you, when we were just hashing in Rumson and you yeah. met 10 o'clock in the morning, had a run and then head to a bar? How long would the day last for you or for some of the others that you remember? Well, I tended to leave earlier than others, I think. So I'd say two, two thirty, something mm-hmm. like that, maybe mm-hmm. three but not, not too much later than that. According to Mr. Jackson, there were a few people that didn't get home till the end of the weekend, he thought, that, that <laughs> who stayed at the bar and used it as a way. Well, you know how things go. You know, your tolerance builds up. You get to be stronger and do things longer. And yeah, I can see that. There were some bar flies. And we talked, as I mentioned, Alcoholics Anonymous owes us a great debt of gratitude for filling their pipeline. Yeah. Back then... In KL, certainly, and I think probably when you started, it was all runners, right? We hadn't gotten to the hash walker. Oh, no. In KL, there were a very prestigious group, small, but Casey Chai, Chai Ching Kong. I just admired him so much. He was a very wealthy man. Malaysian Pineapple Hams was his company. Mm. He would come show up at the hash dressed in all white kit with white plimsolls on. Ah. He would start with everybody. He would walk out 100 yards and he walked back 100 yards. And that was his hash. There were a couple of people who uh, stayed with him the whole time. Oh, nice. But Robson, was that that was a running runner's hash? I don't think we ever had people who who set out to walk. I mean, all of us walked. (laughs) In the subsequent years... Rumson has added a few special events where they invite women and visitors from hashes all over the world. They have 10 mile, 10 bar, which is down to maybe five mile, five bar, and then three mile, two, one mile, three bar. And they have commotion by the ocean. Have you been back to Rumson for hashing since you left originally? 
I've been back once or twice, but not very often. One of the things I learned is that if you stay away, people forget the bad stuff you did, or in this case, the good stuff you did. <laughs> and your stature grows. If yeah. you show up, then people see the reality. And no, it's just, it, it disappoints too many people to show up. I just wanted to get a, a feel for how you remembered the foundings. With Mr. Jackson doing the brain work, you making sure that the hash was a hash event of some kind. After the first few runs and it was a hit with a few people, did it take much effort to keep it going? I don't recall that it took a lot of effort. I think that as happens so often, the critical effort was finding a hair. And I think I probably right. saw more than my fair share of runs initially just because, you know, there weren't that many people around to be hairs. It seemed to catch on reasonably well with a, a pretty uh, consistent group of guys. And some people would come in and go out as, as usual. But Right. Uh, this is one of the very few hashes in the world, Rumson, where I think there's no money collected. There's no run fee. Was well, right, that the yeah. way it stood up? Yeah, you, you just, uh, I'm trying to think. You must have, we must have thrown something on the bar. An innovation that Gill instituted, which I was startled at. You go into the bar, and the first thing you, you know, we would do is give the bartender 20 bucks. So this is for you. And I said, Gil, you're supposed to do that after. He says, no, Keith. No, you watch. We've got all this goodwill now from this bartender. He's going to take very good care of us. And he was absolutely right. And so that's what we did from then on. Yeah, it's like tipping in a If you're staying in a hotel for five nights, if you're going to tip home, home, housekeeping. So first day, first day is an important day. Yeah, that's right. But it is cool that there's no run fee. And, and I understand, yeah, people had to pay for their drinks afterwards, usually as a gang. And I guess there was no shortage of bars, no, no. no trouble finding bars there. No, there are a couple of bars that flagged us and wouldn't let us in anymore, but, you know, <laughs> understandable. We'll see if anything else pops into your mind that you think needs to be said about your history with Mr. Jackson or Rumson there. But let's go on to... New York, and when you actually left Rumson, what made you move to New York, and what about hashing after that? New York City, where I moved to, had a, something of history of the New York hash, which was not in New York City, but was uh, in Westchester. Right. Of having an annual run, I think, there, and I went on one or two of those. But by the time I moved to New York, Lee Carlson, and John Dyson, and somebody else, I think, had started a New York City hash. Mm -hmm. I finally found those guys. It was not easy finding them for whatever reason. I ran with them for all the years that I remained in New York City afterwards. We ultimately became joint master, as did my wife. And my wife made, <laughs> uh, made the innovation of having uh, runs on the same day and same time every week instead of alternating or doing something different. Was that the first co-ed hash that you ran with regularly? That I ran with, yes. Uh, Westchester had always been co-ed. Uh, but uh, New York City was the first co-ed hash I'd run. A lot of people have been through New York City. It's a you know major city in the world that people want to visit or pass through. What was hashing like there? I mean, some people will take an image shot and say, are they hashing in Manhattan? What is it like hashing in New York, Glenn? Well, it's actually brilliant because I'd always hash in the countryside. I was uh, skeptical, but mm -hmm. that I was quickly disabused. It is, uh, it's a, a different style of hashing, but in Wellington, for example, uh, does that. So does Hong Kong. You go places that, that you would not ordinarily go in New York City. We went up on the High Line before it was the High Line. While it was still a disused railroad track, uh -huh. we go down, uh, well, Hudson Yards. We went down into Hudson Yards, the, the railroad tunnel um, going north out of the city of Metro North. They've gone down through that so many times. 
but it's also a great place to meet people. And you, you as everywhere, people from with all kinds of uh, skills and experiences and workplaces, it's a great place to meet people as always. What about the traditions? American hashing now has sort of the reputation, except for some of the places like Rumson has a tradition for being kind of a bit more crazy, vulgar and everything. What were singing hash songs from the rugby clubs have certainly become a big part of it. Was that part of New York hashing scene then? Well, yes. We had Ian Cumming, who I think he came from the Singapore hash, as I recall. KL, and then he started the Singapore hash as the second club ever. Long before my time, but he started the Westchester hash, I believe. But he was Mm -hmm. certainly a fixture on it when I started running with him. He was a great uh, raconteur and singer, and he always led the songs. Now, I have to, in his defense, I have to say they were not as vulgar as most of us would have liked, but we we tried to move them along. (laughs) Ian often traveled with the hashes from New York and brought people in. He brought young people along with him. He often traveled to Toronto, where I am now, and he continued to visit the Toronto hash for their annual anniversary weekend in November through the years, back when he was still singing and partying, all the way to his last year's he had a sister who lived outside of Toronto and he would come and bring, bring picture books from the late fifties in Singapore of musical theater that they were in and share them with his sister who with some of her memory issues could still cheer her up and remember. I would sometimes stay back from the trail and go out to lunch with Ian and his when he wouldn't be any more running trail, but he would still show up. So I got to meet him at the end of his days. I was overseas most of my life, so I didn't intersect too much with him. Did you do any traveling to regional hashes once you got to New York? I think, well, only twice, really. Once was down to Philadelphia. There was a, there was an interhash down there. Right. Uh, when I got married, we went to the Bali interhash and managed to we wisely stayed as far away from the hash as we could. But we went on it. Uh, we were over in Sonner Beach and they were on the other side of the island. So right. I think those were really the, the only two that I ever went on. Uh-huh. So that interhash, Bali's had it a few times now. That would have been around 88. Is that that would have been exactly 88. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. I didn't go to that interhash, so we probably have never mad or hash together but bali's had it subsequent i think they had it most recently in 2016 okay they had it again down in kuda beach and i don't know if you've been back there since 1988 but there's a lot more traffic <laughs> a lot more hotels but no but haven't still. been back since do you remember where the first place you might have gotten a hash t-shirt is did you get any in kl oh yes yeah and in fact one of the hash t-shirts got a guy fired wow yeah the guy i don't remember his name but he was the local manager general manager of uh, richardson vicks he said he had some extra money left in his marketing budget so he had a t-shirt printed up orange with vapor rub on him something like that a friend of mine tom noring uh, who i hashed with went back to the u.s to interview for a job with the the same company and the guys uh, they were chatting away with the guy he was interviewing with 
And the guy let drop that, yeah, he had to fire the guy in Malaysia because he'd squandered all this money on hash t-shirts that he didn't think were of any value. There were t-shirts galore. Do you have any memorabilia from Rumson or Asia hashing still with you? Yeah, I think I tossed all my stuff out. I, you know, I had all the newsletters from a period of time and wow. it's got to be uh, too much to carry around. So I chucked them all. I still have some mugs. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, that's about it. I will say, if you come to the point of wanting to ch chuck anything else, there is now a hash museum that is formed with a guy from the Netherlands that started it. He has a hash name of Neptunus. And he opened it and collected T-shirts, mugs, hats, all this kind of stuff. And yeah. then he put it in a container and shipped it to KL during the pandemic. So it's going to reopen. So if you ever say, you know, I'm getting rid of this, we can arrange to find a place and send you a carton to put a few things in. I think he's going to drive around the States and pick up some stuff. But anything that you have that is something that you could donate, those are probably pretty precious items. Okay. Well, of course, they had a hash museum at the Slugger Club for a while. I, you know, I haven't been back there for a very long time. But John Duncan and others started that, and, and they did show me it uh, one time when I went. It's still there. Most recently, I was there in 2018. They had the 80th anniversary. We were all able to purchase Slanger guest club cards. And they even opened up, I, I think they actually let women in for the day to the long bar. And we had a tour of the, the minimal museum that's there behind glass cases is still probably the way you saw it. Yeah. Okay. That would make sense, yeah. especially being the Selenger Club. Hashing was obviously a big part of expat life. My background is I started in Kuwait in the early 80s. Yep. I spent 15 years in Cairo, and it was before Cairo got Starbucks and before Cairo had too yep. many expat clubs, there was a rugby club and there was the hash. So we were in boom days of the 90s, 100 to 20, 160 people every week. Yeah. It was a big fun thing and it was so it was a big part of expat life around the world i think in yeah. the 80s and 90s every national capital had a hash of course if it came up in conversation to you how did you describe the hash in those early days of the 70s well of course it's a drinking club with a running problem it depends upon it would depend upon the environment the women in kl who were married to hashers <laughs> <laughs> their eyes would roll and they would walk away talking about the hash because that's all anybody would talk about. Uh. So I didn't talk with about the hash with them. But if somebody evinced any interest or said, what's the hash? Then I would tell them, no, we get together, we run, uh, we run a while and then we drink for a while and it's a great time. Yeah. Over these years that you've hashed from New York and in the States and in Asia, you may have heard any of the stories ac across that once the anthrax scares came, there's been crazy stories where the author authorities have come down and shut down cities and the big Ikeas for white powder. Have you recall any run-ins with the officials, the police, or scares or anything on trails yeah, you've said or been on? I was the hare in New York City, and uh, my, I was setting the trail that went behind uh, the federal courthouse, and a couple of federal officers stopped me, wanted to know what I was doing, what terrorist group I was with, what was in, <laughs> in my pouch. And the only thing that saved me was that they, they took long enough that the pack caught up. And when they saw the pack, they finally got the idea that it was okay. So that was the first one. The second one was there was uh, an office facility 
facility in Brooklyn at MetroTech, where I used to work. So, of course, I started a run at MetroTech. The security guards came out and surrounded me because I was putting chalk marks on the MetroTech brand. So I had they got a bucket of water and I had to clean that off. But those were the only, only two times. And quite frankly, that's two times too many as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I got detained, but not taken to prison by the Egyptian police. That was my worst one. They thought we were making, we were using a circle with an X in it for a check mark. It was in the Delta hash in Alexandria. And they thought we were putting down bomb target markers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. On your personal experience, you've had this bushwhacking, some of the places in Asia that you've hashed, and certainly in KL, you were br- kind of breaking new ground sometimes in those plantations. Have you ever gotten injured on the hash or yourself lost for hours? <laughs> lost many times, fortunately not too long, other than that one time I, I described. The only injuries I ever suffered were, you know, uh, uh, ankle strains or, you know, on the uh, the lalong. If you're going through the lalong grass, it has sort of sharp edges and yeah. you, know, you could get infections if you weren't careful. But other than that, I was I was very lucky. What is the last time you were on a hash drive? I know pandemic has made it almost a giant interruption for everybody else, but when was the last time you were on a hash? Well, let's see. It would have been 2007 or 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was on the Brooklyn hash, which I had founded. It was my farewell. My knees were starting to give out. I was never a very good drinker, and it was time to go. So I went. Okay. Although you credit Mr. Jackson with the psyche of the Rumson hash, what other hashes have you started? It's now Brooklyn. Brooklyn, Queens, which I don't think is any longer, and the Full Moon hash in New York. What was it, Full Moon? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. One thing you might be interested in, it's just a tiny technicality through these various research and history of interest of various people. I talked to a guy called Nima, who was in KL later, and he talked to one of the original five hashers that were considered, you know, the founders of the KL hash, Horse Thompson, down in South Africa on a trip, and was told with no uncertainty that the first KL run was actually into 1939, not 1938. I only yeah. know one of the founders, Curly Lee, of course, he's had his, uh, he's, uh, he's like a billiard ball, but I never got into, uh, you know, into any detail about what happened when. Okay. So you met Curly Lee. What was the circumstances of that? It was a Hobart, a hash office bearers reunion dinner. Um, and uh, there were some old time hashers who didn't hash anymore. And then there were young whippersnappers like me. And it was just one of those, one of those opportunities to get pissed up again. That's great. Well, this is this is good stuff. What about the idea of a circle? Rumson doesn't have a circle. Was there one in KL or did? No, there was a lot of standing around and talking, you know, going back to the beer truck. After a while, if you had the stamina, you know, John Duncan had started his recitation of Eskimo Nell or uh, there might be some singing. But no, there was never any circle. Okay. And then once you got in New York, when you started Brooklyn, Queens and these... Were you putting the circle and that kind of tradition in? 
No, there was a circle. There'd be some down-downs, but it wasn't, you know, I, I ran in Seoul once and they had a circle and, and that was quite a, a production. That one time that I saw the circle, it struck me that you really had to have somebody who was a real showman to run a proper circle. And they had a real showman and it was uh, it was very enjoyable. And no, we just had some down-downs and that was pretty much the end of it. The Rumson event, Commotion, which is in the weekend before Memorial Day every year. Yeah. I've have sometimes not made it because it happened to coincide with an inner hash, which I usually go to. It's happened a bunch. So I will RA or co-run the circle for Rumson. So it's always a fun time. So those guys do enjoy a circle, but yeah, that's a, I think that might be their only circle of the year is at okay. the co-motion weekend. So Rumson hosts it, fills up a hotel with about 120 people and we have a bus. So it, it might look with the drinking and the bus, it might look like the annual run rumps an event that you were on at the beginning oh, good. Yeah, yeah. it's great that you've mentioned some of these names that the names i think are familiar to people that have looked at hash history or hash in asia and people like john duncan what did it take i just want to ask you what you were happy to be elected on sec of kl hash how did that go what was it like then was it hard getting one or did you step up or somebody push you forward there was a committee, and I forget who from the committee, it's probably John Duncan, came around and said, uh, we'd like you to be the ONSEC. And so, you know, the only answer was yes, of course, mm-hmm. uh, after he carefully explained about the secretary and, and before I left and this kind of stuff. The harder part was joint masters because, of course, there was a, there was a lot of ego and a lot of, because we had two, and people wanted to be joint masters who didn't do anything, but you got your name on the masthead. Yeah, no, that was, uh, it, it was, uh, you were tapped uh, on the shoulder and that was it. Uh-huh. Let's talk about that Tuesday morning activity. Did you take notes ahead of time or how did you go forth? Uh, no, I'd write it up and start handing my secretary the pages and she would start typing. The longest write up I ever did was probably a page. The shortest one I ever did was one word. <laughs> I didn't learn how to do the write-up before the run until I got to New York, and there was a particularly terrible hair, so I just wrote it up beforehand, trashed it, and sure enough, she did an awful job, and and, uh, everything came true. (laughs) What was the one word on your shortest hash trash in KL? No. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Well, we might be able to reproduce that historical document on a piece of paper. (laughs) what happened with those were you then hand carry them back did you mail them how did those they were all mailed uh, and of course the the postal service there is excellent it would get to everybody beforehand and that was good and it had to be done that day if you waited a day or two then you were lost were there cameras ever the people have cameras back then that they took to the hash? Now that you ask, I have this vague recollection of one or two people taking pictures when they were getting ready to, to move and mm-hmm. wanted a keepsake. And there were certainly pictures for for some of the, the major runs. We'd do this booklet for right. other people this booklet and there would be pictures in there but i i don't recall that anybody thought it was so uh, momentous that they were taking pictures all the time yeah let me ask you about one event then and your memories from that let's talk about your final hash the hash you founded in brooklyn and the the last trail you did was your kind of going away hash what what do you remember about that day 
<laughs> the only thing I really remember is Swing Low Sweet Chariot in the bar. And <laughs> I don't know, I was making some kind of gestures and somebody somebody's got offended. And so that was the end. <laughs> It's a good way uh, to go out. You know? Yeah, yeah, that sounds just uh, quintessential of a, uh, experience of a hash, yeah. As you said, it's, it can be a giant part of expat life. How do you think, and it, it carried on to your activities the rest of your life, what was it about hashing? If you if you had to summarize it across all these events and people and places, what is it about hashing that makes hashing the tribe that it is? Well, it's great camaraderie. You know, the the physical part is something of a personal challenge that is easily attained. So you can do that. You're not being evaluated on how well you do it. So it's a personal evaluation of what you want to do. And then being able to associate with people who have a similar interest uh, in a convivial circumstance and just have a really great time. And, you know, the idea of, uh, I think Monday nights is brilliant. It's, it's uh, the worst day of the week. And to be able to get through Monday with the thought of going on a hash on Monday evening, uh, I think it's just spectacular. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great thing. And, you know, the other thing is that if you like doing it, the ability to do it anywhere in the world travels, is, well, it's just a joy. Yeah. With the coming of the internet, there are quite a few different, everybody's got a Facebook group now and there's websites. One guy started a website called halfmind.com. Yeah. And when he retired, I took over running that and I added a feature called Where Have You Hashed, which okay. allowed people to check off the U.S. states, all the countries in the world, the events. And we now have two people that have crossed 100 countries Wow! that they have personally run a hash in. So, yeah, it's it's an amazing anthropological yeah. experiment that has gone around the world, although I think we've probably fewer countries than we had in the 80s actually yeah. going. Well, those guys better not let their employers see that. Why am I sending you these hashes all the time? They are both retired, as are, I think, the next two or three in line with most okay. countries. Yeah. Okay. Give me one more funny tale. You, you know, anybody who runs on the hash has their own stories, and sometimes they're interesting. I fell into a, a pit full of pig shit once that had been covered <laughs> Leaves by the people who are in front of me to see if I'd fall in. Were- oh my God! Where was that? Well, that was in KL, of course. I mean, where, how many places have pit that have pits? <laughs> yeah, there was, the, of course, the dead horse incident in Rumson, which I think we've already covered with Gil. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my the Tom Noring that I mentioned before is also an American, and in KL, he was notorious for breaking every bamboo bridge that we ever ran across. And as soon as somebody heard a crack, they'd say, it's that American again. So, you know, it just goes on and on. The stories that I, that I think most people are interested in are the ones that they've, that they've been part of themselves. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Uh, what are What were your impressions? I know you didn't base your trip around the inner hash, but what did you think of a giant hash event like that? Well, I didn't understand. <laughs> I didn't understand how they were going to set enough runs on this little bitty island for all the people that were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the event, they did a great job. You know, I got called uh, a really terrible name by some guy from Indonesia there, another expat. He called me a coconut, so you can tell it was a rough crowd. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I was there on my honeymoon. We had a great time in Bali and going on the interhash was something of a, of an extra experience for both my wife and me. So we enjoyed it. How long did your wife hash? 
uh, not quite as long as me. You know, she's smarter than I am and has other things to do. She lasted a very long time. But mm -hmm. anyway, in the end, your question about Walker, she was very much a Walker, but she's very smart. And so she typically ended at the same time everybody else did, along with her clack of friends who are equally smart and equally walking. Is the RA always right? The RA. Religious advisor guy that runs a circle. Oh. Yeah. Well, you know, you can tell from my question of what's the RA that I'm uniquely unqualified to answer that question. I don't did we have a religious advisor in Kale? I just don't I, I don't think they did. I don't I don't think I think it's more something that came in the uh, away from Asia. Okay. So yeah, I I have no idea and, and I refuse to be drawn into a religious controversy. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's great. I appreciate the chance to chat with you. Thank you very much. I'm really glad you're doing what you do to capture some of the moments of passion. Well, I'm sure you're still in touch with Mr. Jackson. And I think on behalf of all, almost all hashers in the, that have hashed in the U.S. and on the East Coast, and, you know, Mr. Jackson told the story of hashing in Australia, and he was on a local hash, and some of the Aboriginal members came up and saw his T-shirt and said, oh, you're from Rumson. And he was, so on behalf of everybody in the hashing world, uh, thank you for your role in starting Rumson Hash. It's long living. It's one of the longest standing American hashes that's continuously running or one of the longest, one of the longest in the world. So thanks, wow. thanks for doing that. And it continues this day. I will be able to get the commotion in May and join those remaining rumps and hashers in the new one. So thanks from the whole hashing world for everything you've done for hashing. It's been great to talk to you. Well, thanks, Matthew. And, and thank you for the chance to talk with you. It's been great. All right. Thanks, Keith. Uh, on, on. Great. On, on. This is the On, On podcast. Hasher voices, Hasher histories, Hasher stories. New episodes every week. Until next time, on on, this is Ra. To close the circle, here's the Hash Anthem sung by Mother Hash. Swing low, sweet child, coming forth to carry me. Oh